Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick, and cousin Jeff. Visit us at, I, visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or handles Critics Pod. Listen to the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. If you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll read it on the air. You may need to let us know you gave it, because in some countries we don't get the notifications. Uh, <clears throat> but if you do do that, we'll read the review on the air. We are also at patreon.com slash criticspod, the best way to help support the podcast. And then our T public link over at IHateCritics.net. If you click, it's up in the right-hand corner. Or you can go to TeePublic and search Critics Pod. Sean, where can people read your movie reviews? Uh, you can find it on uh, Geeks.media. Um, it's a subsidiary of Vocal, along with uh, Horror.media, where a lot of my all my horror stuff goes. And Jeff, where can people find your artwork? JeffLasseter.com. Um, all my links and stuff are there. And if you check the show notes, both... Uh, Sean and Jeff's stuff are linked at the bottom of the show notes. All right. Let's jump right into it and start with Magic Mike 3. Magic Mike's Last Dance uh, stars Channing Tatum and directed by Steven Soderbergh. Wasn't intended as a theatrical release. It was actually made for uh, HBO's streaming service. And then they decided to shift it to theatrical to see if they could make some extra money, something that Steven Soderbergh wasn't too happy about. They actually filmed it in a way that, you know, specifically for television. So they were kind of left to scramble to uh, update the movie a little bit. And uh, they, they were, both he and Channing Tatum were not too happy, uh, essentially, with the finished product, which is reflected in, a, I think it's a 43% positive Rotten Tomatoes take on it. That said, I don't think they did that bad a job. Uh, the story goes that Channing Tatum's character, Magic Mike, is now uh, his furniture business failed and uh, he's not a stripper anymore he's working as a bartender he's working at Salma Hayek's house when she sees him and she's been told by some one of her employees who had ha- seen him as a stripper that he does this pretty amazing private act so she pays him to do that and she's so blown away by it they end up sleeping together and then she invites him to go to London to become a choreographer uh, this is all very rushed to get to that because they want to get to London where he's going to choreograph this sort of dance slap sh- Stripper show slash play, uh, and again, it uh, the, the plot is a little bit murky and a little bit forced. But the chemistry between Selma Hayek and Channing Tatum is so hot that honestly, with their clothes on, they're they're far sexier than anything in Fifty Shades of Grey. Like it's just they are such an amazing pair together that it's just kind of exciting and hot to watch, uh, including a, a scene where he's not even dan- he's dancing. For her, but with somebody else, but you're feeling the heat between the two of them. That's how great they are. Uh, like I said, the movie is a little bit slapdash, a little bit uh, kind of forced and thrown together in, at, in places, but uh, it, it's really not nearly as bad as, as a lot of critics are saying. I think a lot of people have really just kind of gone to town on this movie for reasons that are, are, are a little bit nebulous, I think think uh not that they're wrong i mean there are flaws here but i think if you get past that and just focus on what's really good about this movie which is salma hayek channing tatum and these incredible dance sequences this isn't that bad a movie it's high praise (laughs) 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 no i 
I like it a lot more than other movies. So yeah, part one was good, and part two was a ton of fun. So uh, I can't imagine it being unwatchable. Uh, I did not get to go see it, unfortunately, but <clears throat> I do like the series. Jeff, did you see the other ones? Um, <laughs> I have seen Magic Mike. I own Magic Mike too. Um, I did not get to it this weekend. Was incredibly busy from the time I left work until the time I went back to work. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> let's move on then to Consecration. Consecration stars Jenna Malone as a a woman who works as a as a doctor. She's got a brother. She was, uh, of course, uh, she's also been adopted. Uh, she had a very tragic childhood. She's now kind of a haunted adult when she finds out that her brother has died. He's accused of having murdered a fellow priest and then taken his own life. She goes to the uh, convent where he was living and working to uh, well, to see his body and to sort of begin to investigate exactly how he came to die. Um, she then meets up with Danny Houston, who is a character actor who is just always the bad guy, whatever he does. So he's kind of cast here as, is he a, uh, a red herring simply simply by virtue of being cast or is the, the actual baddie? The thing about Consecration is that nobody knows who the bad guy is. Even by the end of the movie, you're kind of wondering who's supposed to be the bad guy here because the church is treated like a bunch of liars and, and crooks and you know hypocrites. But then you They're have not? Jenna Malone's character, who are also who's treated as sort of a uh, a sort of nebulously evil character, but she's also against the church. So it's kind of like which one are we supposed to? Which one are we supposed to hate more? I guess it's her, but I I don't know honestly. I couldn't. I don't. I, I think this movie is a complete mess. Uh, I could. This is like the the least good Jenna Malone performance. She's such a great actress. She's been in so many really terrific. Uh, roles in the past and this one is really casting her as this sort of meek wilting flower is not to her casting to her strengths i know there's another aspect of her character that is not that but it doesn't doesn't really work it either way uh for me i just really thought this was a big giant mess and just not very good at all jeff you saw this <clears throat> what do you think i did and i i kind of disagree with sean i think actually it, i I liked the movie overall. Um, I thought that I was really happy that it wasn't a possession movie because every church related movie, especially with the Catholic and the Catholic sex has to do with um, exorcism. And I was just pleased that it was something different than, you know, the exorcist of the exorcism, the exercise, whatever, you know, I just, I was really happy with that. I like Jenna Malone. Um, I think she was playing against type because she's, uh, you know, I, I think of Jenna Malone from the Hunger Games and Saved and how she's always, you know, the the one who's the strongest character and is going to fuck you up. Well, this one, she kind of fucks people up, but it's in a quieter way. Um, I think you're supposed to think that she's the big evil towards the end of the movie, but then she uses the power that the uh, mother superior and Danny Houston's character are saying she's going to use for evil. She uses it for good. You know? So I, I, I think that it was, it was a fresh take on a Catholic or a religious um, horror movie. Uh, I really going into it. I 
really thought I was going to hate it because I, you know, I thought it was going to be something shitty like Pray for the Devil or, <laughs> you know, something like that. But it was it was refreshing, so I liked it. Yeah, I think it was a demon possession movie, but <laughs> I mean, I think that character <laughs> well, is uh, clearly clearly she. They also travel through time somehow, which I didn't, I wasn't quite following because the movie really lost me uh, multiple times where I just couldn't bear paying attention to it anymore. Uh, why, it, why that character was moving through time, doing whatever they did, didn't really matter to me at a certain point uh, because I just think the film is rather sloppy. Well, okay, so, you know, obviously I'm going to spoil it, but the reason they moved her through time is because she was this, what the what the church was calling her was a demon. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she was necessarily a demon. I think she was just somebody who was blessed with powers. Um, and because of that, they were scared and they decided that she was this relic that they had to destroy, but they couldn't destroy her, so they locked her away. So that's why she she has this this extra sens- extra sensory perception of what's happened throughout time. But she was locked away as a little girl, and then because uh, as, as she was in that space, they they even dropped the line that um, you're going to stay the same age as long as you're in here. And then Danny Houston says that this casket that held this relic was flushed out into the sea when the uh, the cliff crumbled. And so then when she came out of it, she was 10 years old still, but she was washed up on the sea from the sea onto the beach. And that's where her parents found her and adopted her. And she then started to grow. And that's when they were going, when they, when they were going to lock her back in there before she escaped, she said, you know, you, this is, you're going to just keep me in here and I'll never grow old. And I'll just stay the same. You know, that's when she says, so I stayed the same as long as I was in here. Hmm. So I, I, I don't think necessarily that she was evil. I think that she was against the church, mm-hmm. which I took as the bad guy because, well, the church is usually the bad guy. <laughs> um, so I don't think that this was a um, – I don't think she was necessarily a demoness. Maybe she was a, a savior, but you know how the church is always trying to get you to do the opposite of what is going to keep them in power. So mm-hmm. I just didn't think they established it well enough uh, to 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 make that to make that to kind of underline that point and make it matter because because really it's just a a lot of really messy stuff in there. Like was what was Danny Houston's character really? What made him? evil i guess i mean they didn't it, it is it just that he's danny houston because really that's how well, no. it came off to me now i i he just was there to contain the relic and that was that's her mm-hmm. so that, she also that murders like she also murdered essentially murders seemingly innocent nuns too like the these nuns hadn't really done anything to her they'd been essentially brainwashed into whatever you know buying into whatever you know thing that was happening but uh so the, I don't know. I just didn't buy into any any of that stuff. I didn't. I couldn't. For me, I just didn't care. Eventually, who the baddie was, and I don't think the film established it well enough. I think maybe you checked out a little bit before they the quote unquote reveal. So maybe you didn't catch that. But I definitely got that from what I saw. So I can see where you read that, but I get. I just didn't. Like I said, I wasn't. I wasn't particularly impressed with the with what I'd seen. And I don't 
I don't know. I just didn't care because I didn't think the movie was 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 very good at holding my attention to get there. Finally, some disagreements on the show. This is fun. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I did not see it, so I don't have a horse in the race. Uh, but did you, you guys, or at least Sean, you watch Your Place or Mine on Netflix? I did, yeah. Ashton Kutcher and uh, Reese Witherspoon starring in a movie by Aileen Brosh McKenna, which should be a pretty good thing. I like Aileen Brosh McKenna. I like what she does. Uh, this is her on autopilot because she's just crammed together a bunch of romantic comedy cliches and and just sort of played out these very uh, yeah we we talk about this a lot and I think Jeff we talked about it recently where it's like it's a formula film you know exactly where it's going uh, you've got to do something to elevate the formula to change it a little bit to give it uh, a little twist just make it a little bit different to to make it better than the formula and they just don't do that here the formula is very simple he's irresponsible and needs to learn to be responsible for others she's you know uh, too responsible and uptight and she needs to learn to loosen up and by the end they'll do that and they'll fall in love and it'll be so the characters i guess are, are they became friends some 20 years ago when they initially had hooked up then uh, he flaked but they still became the best of friends. They stayed the best of friends for 20 years. She's going to New York to see him, but then her babysitter cancels. So he goes to Los Angeles to be with her son while she goes to New York to do whatever she's supposed to do there. And of course they both learn their lessons and it doesn't really matter. You already know where this is going. So the plot needs to be elevated somehow. And it just isn't Uh, the only thing that that's any good about this is an actress by the name of Zoe Chow, who plays uh, a character that was hooking up with Ashton Ashton Kutcher's character before she gets all the funny lines. She gets the only really organic growth in the movie that isn't forced by the plot. And she's just, she's very funny, but the rest of the movie is just too simple, too straightforward. It's just so every romantic comedy you've ever seen. And because of that, it's just too mediocre to, to remember. It's honestly just slipping away from my mind as I speak. It's certainly not as bad as you people. Like that movie is going to be Netflix's black mark for a while, but this is certainly again, another failure for Netflix for me. Yeah. I think you watched the wrong romantic comedy this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Why was that one other? That one uh, good? Somebody I used to know on Amazon. I'm not going to, talk about it the way sean did the other one but uh i did watch that with allison brie directed by dave franco and uh, i don't know if good's the right word because but it's definitely decent uh i i think it gets away from the formula a little bit it's allison brie plays a tv writer who has a show that just got canceled and she's going back to her hometown uh she runs into her former boyfriend uh, wants to hook up with him. Turns out he's getting married, and it turns into that the typical movie where she's trying to steal him back and she's trying to get married. Uh, but it doesn't go as far as I know. I haven't seen a lot of these movies, so in my opinion, it doesn't go the cliche route. Uh, mm-hmm. But but it's watchable. Allison Bree is always pretty fun to watch, and I don't know. It, it's uh, just a movie about finding yourself, and you know putting yourself ahead of it's very i don't know it's it is now that i say it out loud kind of cliche but uh it's it was <laughs> watchable but anyway uh what did come out this weekend to select cities was the outwaters 
Yes, The Outwaters, directed by Robbie Banfitch, is a uh, found footage grindhouse horror film that uh, takes elements of like some of the goriest, most gross and disgusting movies you've ever seen and combines them with a sort of Blair Witch aesthetic. Essentially, four people go out into the desert uh, to film some stuff for a music video and something crazy begins to happen. What that crazy thing is, is difficult to say, but it's so effective in just in the in the uh, aspect of just how they film it. Uh, they, the, the, the use of sound design, the use of uh, camera effects are very strong, and the movie really kind of takes your breath away at times with just how bold and weird and dangerous it is until it reaches an ending and a final 10 minutes that is some very shocking sort of like cannibal Holocaust levels of memorable gore. And I, I, I gotta say it, it worked on me. I think it would work even more effectively if I'd seen it in the theater. I, th- I wish I would have seen it in the theater with you guys, but uh, I even still as just watching it the way I watched it, it was very effective. And I was, te- I was taken by it. I was impressed by it. And I, I kind of did kind of enjoy this even because it's just so different and gross and uh, kind of exciting. What'd you guys think? Jeff. <laughs> okay. So Bob and I went to see it together. We drove like an hour and a half to go see this movie. And both of us walked out kind of thinking, what the fuck was that? <laughs> it's understandable. Um, my, <clears throat> My first thought, and I thought about it a lot since we had our talk about it, but my first thought was that, okay, they all dropped acid and, you know, it's all hallucination. And then I thought about it more yesterday and I, my thoughts were, well, Bob said, you know, the camera, if, if that's the case, then it's cheating because the camera can't take acid. <laughs> so, you know, talking to a couple of friends who saw it and they were like, well, <laughs> my one friend is like, well, I talked to the the director, and he said, and I was like, "Oh, well, I, I it was my fault for not calling him up after I saw the movie and talking you know. <laughs> and my argument is this: it's that whole the whole second act for me was a mess, and that has to do with the found footage aspect of it. Um, you should be able to tell, at least see something that's going on. Uh, the fact that he used a pinhole light on it, on that whole like this whole sequence where it was basically skinnamarink with color, because <laughs> it was just, and we all talked about how much I did not like skinnamarink. Um, it was just trippy and discombobulating, but not always in a good way. Uh, I thought that once you could tell what was going on a little more. I was more invested. Um, you know, as far as like a descent into hell, I want to, I want to see that a little more. I want to see, you know, what's going on around you because how else are you going to tell what you're, where you're at or what you're doing? Um, that was my biggest problem with it. And I think I'm not sure if it was just uh, the sound design was, that was what kind of pissed me off a little bit because it was so loud and it was so all over the places. And I don't think it helped that the theater we saw it in in Cedar Rapids. I think their sound, it was all in the front and it was really loud. And then it was, then you couldn't understand half of it. 
So mm. I don't know if that was if if it had if it had had better sound system, the sound design might not have seemed so egregious. Uh, I do think though I would like to see what he could do with more with a you know a not found footage movie. Right. Because I think he's got some good ideas, but I would like to see him do a narrative movie that's not just surrealism. Yeah, it <clears throat> in it felt like during the the second act maybe 15 minutes into it that there was kind of a collective like everybody in the theater kind of like left the movie a little bit we're just kind of like all right yeah. let's let's get to it uh at the same time you know it did make me uncomfortable you know i needed to stand up when it was over because i was sore and kind of discombobulated uh which you know great and that's effective that he did it but it almost felt too gimmicky to me like it was you know, obviously it wasn't a studio being like, let's do this and try to make money, but it, it definitely seemed like an artist going, well, let's take the Blair Witch concept and uh, trick everybody into thinking it's this, but let's make this kind of a movie instead. And I'm trying to speak without giving too many spoilers away. Uh, <clears throat> Jeff and I weren't far apart on what we thought happened when we left the theater. I thought one of them kind of had a head, head injury from the earthquakes, and he mentioned the acid thing. And you know i i still think that's what he was going for kind of something in that vein versus a descent into hell or whatever else you know mm-hmm. it, it could have been and and i feel pretty confident that's what he's going i'm curious what the director said we could do a spoiler part here in a little <laughs> bit if you want to share that but uh I, I don't know i i liked it but i was my hopes were so high for it it's hard for me to be blown away and it, mm-hmm. it just almost felt a little too gimmicky to the point where the shocking shit at the end uh the first big shock or maybe the second big shocking thing was almost eye-rolling versus shocking to me uh mm. the last thing would have been a great visual if that was kind of the only thing you saw other you know uh but yeah, I, I don't know. We, we've seen the other thing a lot, and it's, I don't know. We probably should get into spoilers here eventually. Uh, if you haven't seen The Outwaters, I suggest you stop listening to the podcast now. We probably, uh, it's hard to talk about without going to spoilers, right? I mean, unless you guys want to leave it open-ended. Yeah, no, I I, I would like to talk about it because I, All right. you know, I, I think that, there's because what my idea for the very end is involves the spoilers all right then so. for at this well, point from this point or do you have more to say sean no go ahead go ahead i was gonna say from get, this point I'll forward if you haven't seen the outwaters i highly recommend watching that before uh continuing on with this podcast uh what we're right. talking so, about later uh, on. go ahead I'm gonna. I just. I. I'm not. I'm not saying I love the movie. I'm saying that I that that, that I found it impressive because I was watching it on, on headphones, and and with the benefit of a little bit more background, so I, I I got a I got a pretty good experience of it. Not not a not necessarily a greatly different experience, but just a, a slightly different experience that probably affected how much I enjoyed it. Um, I, I for me the the this the, the final moments were very effective because of the I, I liked the design and the heads on spikes mm-hmm. I liked the the shock of the of the guts hanging out while he's walking over the desert I liked the blood on the desert floor I thought that was great and there's an element here too that 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 kind of gets explained 
early on where they they were actually filming what they were filming on a former uh, or what was actually an active test uh, bomb testing site. So it wasn't actually earthquakes. It was actually bomb tests and what was going on, I believe. And this is just a, kind of my speculation, but I believe they were experiencing radiation poisoning. And that was kind of influencing where that was going. Um, the the found footage aspect doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up at all no, because uh, the, there's the the monster aspect and and uh, who's behind the murders is not. Uh, you know, th- there's a scene where he where like the main character Robbie thinks he sees himself and his friends in the distance. Obviously, you know, if this is a found footage movie, you're not going to find that on found footage. So that aspect doesn't hold up. But it's when you're watching it on headphones on, on a television, it it does ha- it, it is a little bit more effective in terms of just the the viewing of it. It's a, the the clarity is a little bit better, and the sound design when you can control it is right. is a little bit more effective. I liked the screams. I liked the 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 little shafts of light falling on pools of blood works, and and a little bit more of the dialogue is a little bit more easy to understand. So in that way, I did find it effective, and I think this director is quite talented in terms of of uh, practical effects. Because again, those those uh, scenes at the end, I thought in terms of practicality, were pretty impressive, considering the movie cost like a dime to make. Right. What for me the the dick part was it was almost an audible <laughs> like, oh Jesus, not again! When it just falls and hits the ground, uh, that almost took away from the guts, you know. It, mm-hmm. it was still effective, but then even with that, they he walks away and poses for the camera, and then comes back. Uh, Jeff had said something. I, you can correct me. Yeah, but I said, go th- you go ahead and say it. Uh, um, instead of cutting his dick off, first of all, I th- I would have loved to have seen him like the the heads on the sticks. He, he had put them there as a shrine. I'm assuming he did. Um, he'd put them there as a shrine, and I think his la- like it should have been kind of an altar. And instead of cutting his dick off, what I wanted him to do is walk to those, turn and face the camera and then slice open his stomach with, and then let his guts fall out and just kind of stand there. Like he's being crucified by himself, like Buffalo bill, you know, that, that dramatic arms outstretched crucifixion pose. And then the guts just falling out and, cut to black yeah i just I, I for me it you know how sometimes we say you can see an actor trying to act this felt like i could, we could see a director direct like and uh clearly he has talent the, what he did what did put me at you know a state of unease here and there but i just felt like i could see too much of what his tricks were and what he was doing versus versus enjoying the movie and i think it's because it was in a found footage format and like Jeff said, if they're on acid, the camera was on acid too. If, to Sean's point, if there was radiation poison, the camera had radiation poisoning too. So it it, it was kind of, that definitely prevents me from just absolutely loving this movie. But the guy has a ton of talent and uh, he did do some pretty cool trippy visual things. And I'm curious to see what he does next. Yeah, he's very, I mean, very talented. I was the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, he's gotten us to this point where everybody kind of interprets it differently. And he has said apparently to my friend that it was his character was 
kind of descending into hell. And that's why he sees his mother and he go, you know, the time travel part of it where he sees them walking is he is him watching himself on camera. That being said, I didn't really, I couldn't have picked up on that. Um, because that's not, that's, that's just not something that I think out of found footage, I don't think it makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, you should now, have, they should have done something to to, to mitigate the, the found footage aspect. That's it's really only the opening scene where he's doing, you know, where they where they show you like this is the footage that we found, on uh, these are the people involved. It's totally, really not necessary. Just put them, just put them out there uh, and kind of have one camera that's not you know the the camera that they're using, but occasionally cut to the camera that they're using. Uh, sort of visually, and then have one camera that's sort of a, you know, eye of God version of what's happening, and that might have, uh, I think, that might have given the film at least an out in terms of trying to explain the found footage thing. But it's more expensive you know, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that would have been kind of cool is to have one of the characters survive, and he's got, you know, he was going to mount their heads on sticks, but somebody got away and watched all of this and is telling investigators where to find the footage and then telling them what they saw, whether it was his brother or one of the women. And, you know, he had, he has to kill himself at the end because he's all, he's created this altar with where three heads go. So he has to, you know, it's, it has to be three people. or something. I don't know. Just a, something to kind of give you an out from the found footage part. Yeah. And I don't necessarily believe in hell. However, I'm pretty sure you start your descent after you die, so that even the yeah. order of operation doesn't make sense to me. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, it's it's, it's it's a it's a Jacob's ladder scenario. <laughs> <laughs> he died. They died right when they got to the desert, and the rest is just the <laughs> and the camera just <laughs> Jacob's <it>. ladder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it, there were some really cool visuals. I loved when the camera was upside down. I thought that was neat. Uh, yeah. It made no sense, but it was still cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, lots of good things about it, but the buzz that it's getting, I don't think is warranted. No, I, I, Sean, I, I apologize for, for this. I looked at Bob when we were driving back from Steer Rapids and I said, Sean's going to suck this movie's dick, isn't he? Did I? No, nope. no, you didn't. You didn't. Okay. I was wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to admit that I was wrong. However, when I got home, I read your review and I was like, "Oh, thank God," because I didn't want to have to argue about this movie with you. But the amount of people on Twitter who I really, really think that a lot of people on film Twitter, if they don't understand something, they just say it's great and it's the second coming. Skin of a rink. Yeah. Um, so they don't sound stupid. And I, I, I have, I guess I have a low bullshit meter because I was like, come on, it's a good movie overall, but it's not the second coming of Martin Scorsese. You know, it's like, or whatever, pick a movie. It's not that second. It's not the second coming. It's a good movie. It asks some interesting questions, has some really nice, cool visuals, but I think it suffers from not being able to see anything. And what, and that it has that same thing that I hated about Skinner Rink, where it's just sound and abstract visuals 
for a good portion of it. Mm-hmm. So to the point where, like I was saying earlier, the collective theater seemed to come out, and maybe that vibe is what's affecting. I mean, definitely that vibe is what's affecting me. But you could just kind of feel everybody in the theater just kind of leave the movie for like ten minutes before they yeah. got back into it. Well, I had to look away a lot because the you know like the just bouncing up and down of the camera and that that one pinhole light that really took me it really bugged me to put that one pinhole light and how it was going all over i had to look away a couple times and i could see people in the theater doing the same thing so is it effective yeah but is that the effect you want to go for where everybody has to stop watching right and anytime jeff or i moved our seats would start to decline so <laughs> it was a kind of an uncomfortable <laughs> theater in general yeah, I would. I I don't think I'll go back to the Marcus theaters unless it's something that I have to go see there. Yeah, and that's the only place that has it. But uh, yeah, I definitely don't recommend that place. I said luxury. They, you know, they have the big sign that says luxury loungers, and I walked out. I'm like, luxury loungers, my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on the outwaters before we move on? Like I said, I, I do I do appreciate it. Uh, I do kind of like it. I do. I think the, mostly the mostly the, the takeaway is that I think Robbie Benfitch has got a pretty good future in front of him. Yeah, he can. Uh, I think he needs to take more care with obviously uh, plotting uh, a little bit better. You know, to, like in terms of the found footage stuff, yeah, that that doesn't doesn't work. Uh, but I think he definitely has something there. I really would have liked to see this as a narrative. Mm-hmm. If he remade it as a narrative, I would, mm-hmm. I'd go see it again. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just, it was an interesting idea and you know, it suffers from like, like I watched the Blair witch not too long ago again, Blair witch project. Um, and I saw that in the theater and it was very effective And the, la- those last, you know, two minutes of the movie were terrifying then I watched it on video. I, I, it was like midnight when I lived in Des Moines and I had to be, I'm like, God, I really want to see this movie again. And there's no way to see it. It's, you know, there's no streaming and I couldn't, I didn't, I couldn't go rent it. So I had to go to Walmart and buy it at like midnight <laughs> and I spent 15 bucks on it. And I put it in my VCR and I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't watch this right now. It's just too, you know, too jarring and up and down and all over the place. And then I watched it again recently. I was like, okay, I get it. It's, it's well-made, but I think it was, you know, unlike this movie, it had more of a, um, it, it was trying to be that movie that the first internet movie where you have, you have to go and see a lot of the parts of the movie on the internet or the, you know, the pieces that fill it in. And I was told that this movie has a prequel that was released online. I'm like, I shouldn't have to do that. The same as the Blair Witch. I shouldn't have to see a supplemental uh, movie. Same with like Star Wars and all the stuff that's tied into Star Wars movies. Well, for me, the Blair Witch was more authentic and genuine, and this is more gimmick. Like, I, it was definitely a gimmick, the Blair Witch, but the way they did it was just kind of, all right, there's no script. We're not going to tell you what's going on, but we're going to scare the shit out of you at night. And they just captured it. So it was like, you know, this is almost suffers from being too well thought out. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I get it. Uh, all right. Shall we move on? 
Sure. sure. Right, for everybody who stuck around with us, uh, <laughs> uh, our classic is My Bloody Valentine, 1981, and we will talk about the remake as well. Yes, uh, My Val- My Bloody Valentine, 1981, a Canadian horror film set on uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, some uh, tw- as a twenty years after a mining accident, uh, the murders start again, where somebody is tearing people's hearts out because they hate Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is tied to their death, uh, tied to the deaths of their near death years ago, and they've hated the the holiday ever since. And the town hasn't celebrated until now. Uh, and with that, return the murders. But who's doing it? Well. We'll decide that by pulling the name out of a hat in the last 10 minutes, and that's how we'll decide who the killer is. Uh, it's, this movie, is, it's got some iconic moments. Like, there, there is no denying that that scene, there's a scene in this movie where a dead body is found inside a dryer, and that has been a visual and uh, you know horror touchstone for, for years. It's a great piece of visual filmmaking, especially for a movie that is this low budget, and it, it, it's very effective. For me, it's probably the only effective thing in the movie. The rest of it is just sort of, it's all right. Like, there's a couple of effective chase scenes. I think the mind chase scene at the end is pretty good. Uh, really well staged. But uh, overall, I, like when we, like I said, I, I didn't buy into the ending, especially the very ending. Like, it just kind of seemed a little bit silly to me. Uh, and I had a better experience of this movie, like, years ago. When I was watching it with people and watching it by myself is just not the same experience. And so it just didn't land nearly as well for me this time. Jeff, or do you want me to go? You can go because I'm going to suck this movie's dick after you're done. (laughs) (laughs) I had never seen this one uh, before. I had seen the remake. Uh, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was fun. I, I, I didn't mind the... I thought they did a pretty good job of unveiling who the killer was, and I thought it was fair and wasn't quite... I mean, I kind of figured who it was the whole time just based on the way he acted. Uh, (laughs) But I don't know. I I just thought it was a good, solid horror movie with cool visuals, some cool kills. Uh, It's the perfect horror movie to remake because it's not quite iconic, like perfectly iconic. Uh, but it, it it holds up on its own. I thought it was good. That's all I got, Jeff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Start sucking. Um. <laughs> wow, it's like Friday he's heard night that before. <laughs> so the original My Bloody Valentine is one of the initial wave of holiday slashers that Halloween birthed after Black Christmas, um, and. What I always loved about this movie, like I saw this movie for the first time in the middle of the afternoon on Sven Gulli, and I taped it. And I was telling Bob the other night, this is the, it's the wave of 80s horror movies that is so dark anyway, because they couldn't process the film to be brighter or whatever. Their color timing was off. And then you put it on videotape and then you put it on TV and you, it's, you barely see anything. I remembered the uh, the Miss Mabel's Laundrette chase scene, which I thought was really good and well directed. Um, I watch this every year on you know Valentine's Day because I'm unlovable. Um, <laughs> so I uh, I watching it again 
again this year, I was like, you know what? I I have such an affection for this movie because it's it's low budget, but it feels like they really went ahead. They picked actors who seem relatable. Like Sean, when we talked about Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. which you guys can listen to on our Patreon feed. Um, when we talked about that, I said these actors are normal people. They're, you know, unlike when they do the remakes, everybody is gorgeous and Hollywood and polished. All of these guys were regular guys. I mean, like the character of Hollis, who is, he looks like Captain Kangaroo and John Candy had a baby. He's a natural guy and he's one of the best guys. He's one of the best characters in the movie. Oh, justice for Hollis, man. Honestly, like he's, yeah. he's the best character in the movie. I was shocked though when I looked it up and he was 25 when he made this movie. Yeah. <laughs> he's, I thought it's one 40. of those things. Like it's one of those those things about 80s actors we talked about before. It's just they <laughs> somehow in the 70s and 80s people just looked old. Teenagers were 40. Yeah. They just were real teenagers, not movie teenagers. <laughs> teenagers were 40 in the 80s and the 70s. Um you know how everybody in the I thought every character with the exception of Mike, the I think that's his name, the redhead, whose girlfriend gets impaled on the showerhead. I thought every one of them was a really naturalistic actor. Um, they all felt like a group of friends. And, you know, especially Hollis and his girlfriend. And she was, she, they just seemed, they, they actually felt like a couple. Um, I got the, you know, the, uh, the love triangle, I understood it, although I thought Lori Hallier was a little overwrought sometimes. Mm-hmm. But she did seem like somebody who was torn between two lovers, feeling like a fool. Um, the kills were really good. Uh, the the supporting characters didn't chew up the scenery, with the exception of the bartender, who's, you're all doomed. He was the crazy <laughs> Ralph in this movie. And in the extended cut, which um, is not streaming, but I think you can, I think you can still buy the the Blu-ray. I have a couple copies of it that he that sequence where he's setting up the fake Harry Warden, <laughs> it goes on forever, and it's like he does it two more times, and but you really, and then he's like, <laughs> that was that's like one of my favorite parts to the point where I was watching it with somebody a few years ago. And for two days later, we kept looking at each other going. (laughs) (laughs) But in the uh, in the extended version, you see the in the regular version, you see the ice pick come up. But in the extended version, it comes out his eyeball and his eyeball is just hanging on the end of there. And it's actually the the gore of this was pretty good, especially for the time. You know, people, you know, Halloween suffered in my eyes, because it didn't have enough, Friday the 13th was right there, and then My Bloody Valentine, if they had kept some of the kills in, like Mabel, it, you see her tumbling inside. She just doesn't fall out. She's tumbling. Her body is tumbling. Um, I just thought it was it's well thought out. Uh, the, the reason that, you know, the Valentine's Day was always such a big deal was because the town is called Valentine Bluffs. Mm-hmm. And that was their big thing every year. And then, you know, I thought how it was one of the, it was unlike prom night, which tried to do the same thing. It was more effective on, is it Harry Warden or is it somebody else? And, you, you know, it takes almost all the whole movie to find out that Harry Warden died and it couldn't be him. But then who is it? 
and then you see the reveal and it makes sense. So, oh boy, my jaw's getting a little tired. <laughs> well, part of what too I liked about it was just having never seen it. And, you know, you, you mentioned it in the same breath as Halloween and Friday the 13th. I think what it lacks pop culture wise is an iconic killer that you can make several, several sequels and just keep bringing them back with no storyline. Uh, but I think that's a good thing and why I liked it here is it was more about the story and the images and the kills than it was about the bad guy. I mean, yeah, <clears throat> at least it was done differently that it stay, still seemed fresh to me in 2023 versus Friday the 13th or even Halloween. Every time I watch Halloween, I feel like I got to kind of bring more to it to keep liking it, uh, especially with Sean hating it so much. <laughs> Oh, Halloween, yeah. Yeah. I I think Friday the 13th is far better. Uh, Like, Jeff really improved my opinion of that movie to a great deal. Uh, My little boy's growing up so fast. (laughs) I I did enjoy Friday the 13th. But also, I think think this, again, suffered for not being as good an experience as I had when I saw this movie initially, because I saw it with people. Uh, Just this time, I was more focused on some of the... Some of the you know the little bit the little tiny flaws that just didn't ring true with me and I the the sort of reveal of the killer at the end just didn't it just felt like kind of random to me uh, as much as they were foreshadowing it and trying to they seemed to foreshadow it here and there I thought it just felt a little random and then that that last bit where he's just cackling in in the mine shaft just that. Sarah, be my bloody Valentine. Yeah, that didn't do anything. Would for you me. have rather it had been somebody else? Would you rather it was TJ or I would have Paul? I would have preferred that they didn't go like at the very uh, very end. He has a flashback, and suddenly that explains why he did it. Well, I mean, like Friday the Thirteenth, that you know, Mrs. Garrett or Mrs. Garrett. Oh my God, <laughs> Mrs. Voorhees. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been funny, Charlotte Ray? <laughs> girls girls you killed my boy (laughs) um but you know she's she's having a flashback Mm -hmm. but and you know she was never on screen until she showed up so is that any i mean is that any more or is my bloody valentine is that any more egregious than that or i i think just they they did a better job in friday the 13th of 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 sort of setting up the characters who were being being killed and essentially wh- why it seemed they were being killed. I just bought into that a little bit more. Uh, and I bought into her performance, especially. I think she's far more interesting. She's a far more interesting villain uh, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it, to me, it could have been Harry Wharton. You know, they could have like, he could have just escaped and, you know, they didn't have any idea. And then, you know, Axel could have been a hero. Because he isn't a hero throughout the movie, you want you want TJ to prevail, and Axel's always kind of the asshole and the one who starts the fights. But well, that's also another problem I had is that I didn't I didn't find TJ particularly appealing. Yeah, but if you know if if Axel had been the hero at the end, you would have said, "Oh, okay, well she could end up with him too," and it would have seemed you know more. But yeah, I mean I. I get what you're saying, and I they I both kind of sucked, and I <laughs> said <laughs> <laughs> they were kind of both both kind of assholes. So I didn't, yeah. What about the remake? 
The remake, uh, 2009, was it, Jeff? Yeah. In 3D, uh, it's a far better <laughs> experience 2009 than it is today. This is not one that holds up well for me at all. Uh, this time watching it without the, the benefit of 3D and the movie theater, I found it just to be incredibly sloppy and and uh, kind of generic, honestly. Uh, this, of course, uh, Jensen Ackles from Supernatural, Kerr Smith uh, from Roswell and other things. Uh, again, just two really empty-headed, unlikable leads uh, and a really bland female lead. Uh, this exposition dump at the beginning that is just incredibly convoluted and lame. Uh, and then a series of kills that are kind of okay, but also like the, the CGI hasn't aged well on it. Uh, it kind of looks kind of silly now, especially on a high-def television without the benefit of having your 3D glasses to hide <laughs> some of the flaws. This didn't work for me at all. I was really kind of bored by this, not offended in any way, because like they, a lot of people talk about the scene early on where there's a character who is nude and she is murdered uh, in the nude, and people kind of talk about that as an exploitative scene. I actually thought they established that pretty well, that that's just kind of who she is. And that, that, and that actress, I thought, sold the hell out of the fact that, fuck yeah, she's not even going to bother getting dressed. She's just going to go out there and confront this fucker like that. I you know that she, was her choice. I think, well, it's great. And I agree. Yeah, I think, she, that, was, I think yeah. she established that as part of her yeah. character, <laughs> that she would do that. And so I didn't find it exploitative or wrong. I was, I was yep. kind of like, I was rooting for her because I thought she was kind of a badass. <laughs> uh, so it, it kind of sucked when she went out so early. But uh, the rest of the move, rest of the character is just kind of underwhelming, especially in comparison to her and her death. Uh, it was far more impressive than anything that happens in the rest of the movie for me. I didn't go back and watch it. I remember loving it when I saw it in the theater, though, originally when it came out. Uh, but I've only seen it in 3D in the theater. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? Do you do you think it still holds uh, up? Or? I think I, I think overall, but when it comes to horror movies, I'm kind of an easy lay. Um, <laughs> but it was one of the better remakes in that cycle. Um, it wasn't the cold, moldering trash that the Friday the 13th remake was. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't the garbage that the Nightmare on Elm Street remake was. Um, I thought the characters were likable enough, even if they do suffer from the the sequel itis part where everybody's just so fucking pretty. Um, you know the the I mean everybody in this movie looks like they're like Valentine Bluff or whatever it is called in this movie is just you know, Mount Olympus of pretty people. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I watching it again. I, I like the kills in this one, even though the edges do kind of show on the 3d, I can't see 3d. So the, I can't go to the movie theater and watch it. Mm. So for me, watching the theater was no different than watching it at home. Mm -hmm. um, I, I thought that everybody was fairly likable with the exception of, um, Kevin Teague's character he just kind of always seemed like an asshole um, I when I saw it in the theater the reveal that you know that they gave you was like oh okay that's fairly clever 
You know, that's why, because in the, um, in the original TJ disappeared for a long time and nobody knew where he was. And they kind of play into that with this one for a whole other reason. Um, and I thought that was, that was a good way to go. And it kind of brought in a little bit of extra depth to a character that doesn't have a lot of depth. Um, I did like the lady who owned the hotel or the motel. She was funny. <laughs> And I loved her kill. I mean, you know, like getting her under a match or a um, box spring holder thing, uh, bed frame, yeah, and holding her up against the wall. That was like, oh, that's creepy. Um, but overall, I, I I enjoy this when I watch it. I don't watch it every year, um, but I do. You know, I'll revisit it every once in a while. So, I don't think it's miserable, but I think Curse Smith is not a his character, especially the. Uh, Axel in this movie is just, I just, he's a detestable character. He doesn't have any fun in this movie at all. He's not interest. He's not particularly interesting or charismatic, and really drags the movie. And then Jensen Ackles to me is just a blank slate. He's just uh, <laughs> an incredibly boring actor who uh, he's given a lot of meat to chew on, and he doesn't really do much. He really doesn't do much with it. I also think that the setup. Uh, is far better in the original. I like the idea of like they're afraid to have Valing- Valentine's Day in case mm-hmm. Harry Warden comes back. Like that's I thought that was far more interesting. It's like he, he's like the Grinch in that movie. Like he hates he hates Christmas so much he's going to come down and kill the Who's. Like that's far more interesting to me than what they do here, which is just I don't know. They seem very convoluted to get where they wanted to go, and that uh, that yeah, that didn't work to me. That the there's an aspect there about how the the cops conspired to kill Harry Warden, you know, execution style, and that's supposed to be some kind of scandal. Like, I mean, he murdered a lot of people. That wouldn't be very scandalous. Them killing him, they'd probably want to parade his corpse through town, considering what he did to the hospital. So, I mean, I didn't <laughs> buy into that aspect at all in terms of a a plot driver. Uh, and, and yeah, just a lot of that, a lot of those niggle, little niggling things to me just make this movie not hold up very well. I I just thought of something with with uh, Jensen Ackles. So he used to be on Days of Our Lives, hmm. and he played the stepson of uh, Drake Hodgson's character. Who his acting consists of. <gasps> And making all these faces and talking like this. And that's exactly what Jensen Ackles does as an actor. <laughs> so he must have learned at his feet. Because <laughs> I noticed that this time I was like, mm-hmm. he really does that that John Black look where he's, you know, arching an eyebrow and the rock before the rock. <laughs> but I think both versions are f- available for free and streaming right now. I think the 81's on HBO. And I don't know if the remakes on HBO two or, but I thought I saw. I think it must be. I I had to pay for the for the for the older one. The new one is on a uh, is on Tubi actually. It's on Prime too for free. I own them both streaming. So anyway, if you feel like watching that tomorrow on Valentine's Day or whenever you're listening to this (laughs) podcast, it's. Well, you can also watch Valentine, which we'll talk about next year on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Good God, no. Please. Please, no. That movie is high camp. Uh, I, maybe. I, I really hated it when I, saw, when I reviewed it. Uh, can I throw in a plug? No. 
Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So I, I sent this to you guys earlier in the week, and I, I'm pretty proud of this. I did a 3,000-word retrospective on Gaspar Noé's Irreversible. Uh, and it, it's really reflective of like who I was as a film critic in 2002 and who I am now. Because uh, I've seen that movie in a completely different way. Irreversible, uh, when I saw it and when a lot of people saw it in 2002, was very controversial. It really, you know, grossed a lot of people out. It really turned a lot of people off who felt that it was very exploitative. It has a rape scene in it that is among the most brutal and difficult to watch scenes in film history. And at the time, I felt like Gaspar Noé was kind of a uh, a bastard for putting that to film. Uh Watching it 20 years later, uh, I watched it both in the original you know, cut, which is told backwards from the ending to the beginning, and then this new straight cut, which is from the, the, begin- the regular straightforward beginning to end chrono- chronology. And what I found was that this is a movie of incredible depth. These characters are, are incredibly well laid out in both versions, and it's an unfolding tragedy either way. But what blew me away was how brilliantly staged and actually incredibly effective the rape scene is because it forces you into the perspective of Monica Bellucci's character who is just trying to walk home leaving behind these two guys who just pissed her off all night. She just wants to go home and she ends up in this underground red broken hallway and attacked by this man who brutally assaults her. At this point in the movie the camera has been moving everywhere in the reverse cut. It's just been going everywhere. And suddenly now we're on the ground. We're staring right at her and we can't move. and She can't move. And Noe points out that a moving camera in this moment takes you out of her perspective and puts you into her, his perspective. It puts you in the perspective of the rapist. You're looking around and you're seeing the things that she can't see. You're looking for somebody to come in and rescue her. You're looking around corners. You're seeing things that she can't see. Put in that perspective and this perspective that he puts it in with that camera not moving and focused fully on her, it forces you to see her as a human being. And in the end, what Noe is going through her from beginning to end is demonstrating her humanity and the way even the men who love her dehumanize her and take her agency from her and treat her like an object. And it's brought into this horrific relief in this horrific scene and Bellucci is so, is is so human and so real and so vulnerable. She she just makes this moment so incredibly. She really makes communicates the tragedy of it, and he really forces you to take a rape scene, a rape revenge movie scene, seriously, which kind of throws you a light on the way that Hollywood sort of treats the victim in a case like this as a plot point. And for her, for for no way. This isn't a plot point. This is a human being that this is happening to, and you're forced to confront that and live in that moment. And it it really, really hit me watching it this time, watching it twice. Uh, it really just got to me, and I think this movie is absolutely incredible. And please do. I've got even – I've gone further in depth in the article. Again, 3,000 words that I wrote about this. I think Irreversible is, is an – is a is a classic i think it's a must-see film it's not an easy movie to watch it's certainly not a casual watch but it's a movie that 
that is a critique of movies. It's, it reminded me of the thing, and I know it's very pretentious to say, but it's what Godard said about if you want to criticize a movie, make another movie. He's criticizing rape revenge movies by making a rape revenge movie where you're forced to treat the, the female, the person this is happening to, as a human being and not a plot point. She's not a motivation for somebody. She is a person that this has happened to. And that that just gives this movie so much power. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great article. I read it, uh, and I did share it. Uh, really, really good, and uh, we should make Zach watch that sometime. Yeah. Uh... 1993 we had Peter Jackson's Dead Alive Groundhog Day Love Field The Temp and Untamed Heart Sean you did a bonus episode on Untamed Heart yes uh, we'll have that uh, later this week myself Amy and MJ watched the <laughs> Christian Slater with a baboon heart movie and it it's as as violently dumb as you can imagine <laughs> <laughs> Christian Slater playing a guy who thinks he has a baboon heart and the movie treats this adult man who thinks he has a baboon heart uh, as, as they think he's a romantic lead and he's no he's the mentally challenged little brother that the lead is supposed to be taking care of not the romantic lead <laughs> this is one of those movies that has been like gaslighting women for years into thinking that stalking is romantic because the backstory for his character is he thinks he's he he's a guy who thinks he has a baboon heart. He doesn't speak to anyone until he tells this ridiculous story about his dad stealing rubies from the baboon king and the baboon king finding out why he stole the rubies and then giving him his heart. Like he tells that story as if as if he actually believes it. Then he he tells her that he's actually been following her home for years because he saves her from a pair of guys who are sexually assaulting her, and then he's been following her home for months, but not just following her home. He's been going into her house and watching her sleep every night, and we're supposed to believe this is romantic. Like, <laughs> it's so ridiculous that they want this guy to be the romantic lead. No, he's he's a kind of a touched-in-the-head creep. He's not a romantic lead. And this movie just wants you to believe that this is this great romance, and it's just bizarre to watch the movie try and pull off that trick. It certainly doesn't. Uh, meanwhile, Marissa Tomei is trying to act down to Christian Slater's rather ludicrous performance. He's got His heart is going bad in the movie, because uh, he did, as a child, have a heart transplant, and he needs another one. And he tells her that he doesn't want to get a heart transplant because he's afraid he won't love her if he does, because he has a new heart. <laughs> And she's, she tries to tell him that doesn't work that way. And he goes, but why does it hurt here so much when you're not around? Oh, my God. <laughs> you just want to, oh, my God. It's so awful and so great. We had a great time talking about it and making fun of it on the show. And, uh, yeah, check it out on Everyone's a Critic 1993. It's, it's a lot of it's a fun conversation. MJ was kind of blown away that this is a real movie. Do you think when this pops up in Christian Slater's Facebook memories, he cringes? <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> it's it's clearly like he's been in a lot of shitty stuff lately, but this is pretty much the worst performance of his career. And I think it ended sort of the boom period of Christian Slater's career. Yeah. Anything else from 93 you guys want to talk about? Either, either of you have any 
uh, opinions on Dead Alive. Was- I've got to watch Dead Alive again. It's been years since I've seen uh, it. What do you I, think, Jeff? It's been years since I've seen it, but I saw it in the theater. And it's certainly an experience in the theater. Yeah, I got to so. watch it again. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm one of the few people who, who doesn't uh, love Groundhog Day. Um, I find it to be kind of tiresome. I think, but but I think part of that is kind of the Bob effect, where it's like so many people have elevated the movie to being something more than it is that it's made me hate the fans right. of Groundhog Day more than I actually hate the movie. People who try to treat this movie as if it's the unending genius comedy of all time, I'm just like fuck you. No, it's not. It's it's a Bill Murray comedy. It's it's as good as a Bill Murray comedy, and that's all this is. And so I, I think part of my part of my slight disdain for it is just the the, the buzz surrounding it the yeah. idea that they're going to elevate it to being so much more than it is i agree completely i think it's kind of boring at times too but. Yeah. i don't buy murray is this kind of that like the romantic period where he's trying to gaslight her into thinking he's a better guy that goes on too long and he's not convincing in it at all uh, and I, that that also just doesn't hold up for me what do you think jeff um, I, I'm going to reiterate what I said last time when you mentioned it. Why was this released after Groundhog Day? <laughs> um, yeah. But no, what you, what you said about like Bill Murray, I, his movies for me, you can't, you can, I can't watch them over and over and over. I just can't. Um, because a lot of it is the same performance. Like he's doing the same thing here that he's doing in Scrooge, really. So for me, that's that kind of bothers me a little bit. I guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't see this movie until just a few years ago for the first time, and I was like, "Oh, this is what everybody calls their favorite movie," or <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like <laughs> that's weird. So I think it flatters people. I think there. I think a couple. People wrote about it, about the existentialist aspect of it, and it made people who like it feel smart, and so they just sort of elevated it to far more than it is. Yeah. You know, and it's one of the it's one of those movies like um, Back to the Future, where it's a funny movie, and it's, you know, it's a good movie, but it's not this, you know, like, it's not high art. Yeah. And... Not groundbreaking by any means. And I'm tired of the memes from both of those movies <laughs> because everybody just like photoshops in a different date and they say this is the date yeah. that marty mcfly went or you know what if groundhog day what they released a sequel and it was just the same movie again ha <laughs> ha shut up the same people fall for it every year too it's, yeah that's kind of fun too <laughs> all right next week we've got marlo ant-man on Apple TV, the sh- uh, Sharper. Our classic is The Big Sleep. In 1993, there's not a whole lot. Uh, Queen Mac Hostages. And it says The Crying Game. But is that like a re-release? or did that This actually- was the Oscar run, I believe. That's what but, I uh, I'd like the wide release of it. I right. think they, they re-released it ahead of the Academy Awards. And that's... Uh, so that's why we're, we're going to be covering The Crying Game in the next episode. Because MJ... 
uh, must see this. I think uh, just just to start understanding a little bit more of the references that come from it because it gets a lot. Of, it gets referenced a lot uh, later on after it comes out. Uh, so we're going to watch that for the next uh, 1993 episode. Awesome. All right, let's share the screen and play flick chart until we're bored. Iron Man two or <laughs> volcano. Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2. Agreed. It's much better than people remember, honestly. I agree. Uh, yeah. yeah. The Good Shepherd, The Executioner. Not seen The Executioner. The Good Shepherd, The Road to El Dorado. Um, as disappointing as The Good Shepherd kind of is, I'll go with that over The Road to El Dorado. Sure. The swimming pool U571. I've not seen the swimming pool 1969. Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors U571. I think U571 is a good movie, but Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is so much more fun. Like, I've rewatched Nightmare on Elm Street 3 a lot, whereas I'm never going to watch U571 again, so I'm going Nightmare on Elm Street 3. <laughs> Same. It's one of the better sequels uh, in the horror genre. Night of the Living Dead, Rockadoodle. In fairness, to get, create an argument, I've never seen Rockadoodle. I don't know what it is. Fine. Night of the Living Dead, The Reader. Night of the Living Dead was probably going to win no matter what, but <laughs> yeah, Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead is one of my is in my top ten favorite movies. So it's one of the greatest of all time. Absolutely, yeah. It never ever gets old. Gladiator Dogma. Dogma by Dogma. a lot. Yeah. Marley and Me Adventureland. Adventureland, but I don't hate Marley and Me. Adventureland. Double Jeopardy Barton Fink. Barton Fink. <laughs> oh, I, I since Bob's going to pick Barton Fink, I'm going to just pick Double Jeopardy just to be a contrarian. That movie's so bad, it's good. <laughs> I, yes, Barton Fink. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook, Creep Show. Silver Linings Playbook. Creep Show. I absolutely love Silver Linings Playbook. I like Creep Show, okay, too, but if I didn't love Silver Linings so much, I would have gone the other way. You don't mess with the Zohan Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones, but it's mostly because I don't think Zohan's very good. My least favorite Star Wars movie is Attack of the Clones, but I would still watch that on an endless loop than ever watch <laughs> Zohan again. Yeah, there, I agree. I haven't seen either. Uh, Rebel Without a Cause, Dune, nineteen eighty four. Rebel Without a Cause. Yep, Salminio. Ugh. When Harry met Sally, a hard day's night. Hmm. I'm gonna go a hard day's night. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen a hard day's night. Really? Oh, it's, I, it's it's actually much more than just a, a like a Beatles love fest. It's got some it's got some real art to it. That's pretty funny too. If yeah. there is that the other one, but I I remember liking it, and I like when Harry met Sally. But I think I hard do too. Day's but night's yeah. better. Gladiator Ali. Ugh. Ali, mostly because I hate Gladiator. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, 
I'm going gladiator, right? And I got to make a decision. <laughs> oh, fuck you. Uh, even before the slap, I was never a big Will Smith fan because of what he said when he was making uh, Six Degrees of Separation. Um, I'm going to pick gladiator. Fuck it. <laughs> Star Trek Beyond the Lawnmower. Man. <laughs> Uh, I'll go. I'll go with the "How did this get made?" episode on the Lawnmower Man. Oh, that movie was so horrible. Have you guys ever read the short story that it's based on? No, no. It's. I would love to see them remake it where it's faithful to the story and wasn't about virtual reality. I. It, it's so much better. Um, I'm going to pick Star Trek Beyond because. One more man, no. I don't care, so I'll go with Star Trek. Uh, does this crack movie count? I've never, I've never seen heard it. of it. All right. The Fifth Element, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh, that's tough. That is, that so is very tough because I love New Nightmare, but I gotta go Fifth Element. That's one of my. That's a favorite. I'm gonna say New Nightmare. Yeah, good. It because it. it's 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 really it it's like you know they say elevated horror this elevated horror before there was elevated horror this is like this is a far even even with scream this is a far better meta horror movie i think it's the the true invention of meta horror yeah yeah i, I love i love fifth element but i'm gonna pick nightmare i agree i like the new nightmare better i it's just neat the, what they did at that time uh, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do the lamb yeah. four times. <laughs> the great lawn net. What the fuck? <laughs> paycheck. Scary movie three. The only reason I would pick paycheck because is if it's up against scary movie three. <laughs> so I'm picking paycheck. <laughs> if it was scary movie two, I would have picked that over. Paycheck. Yeah. The judge Phantom of the Opera 2004. The judge. It's you mediocre, whereas Phantom of the Opera is bad. I've never seen either one of them. The Judge isn't great, but it's sufficient. Uh, do you know oh, what definitely tag till Mark to Fjord Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, if it was a real movie on the other side, I forgot. I picked it over. But uh, Independence Day or Super Bad? Super Bad. Is it? I'm going to pick Independence Day. Super bad. Some of the jokes get a little. I'm sure they don't old. hold up. I haven't seen it in a while. Last time I saw it, I still liked it. So, but yeah, I don't know. Lake House, Office Space, Office Space, <laughs> Office Space. Because remember on Saturday when we saw that guy? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, you missed it, Sean. We went to a Quick Star on the way out of town, and there's this old white guy in a minivan listening to like hardcore street rap from the 90s <laughs> and he's got his windows rolled down and it's like pumping his and I looked at him and I would be like is his name Michael Bolton? <laughs> <laughs> and he looked like him and it was pretty good yeah it was <laughs> so definitely off the space 
Evil Dead 2, Reno 911, Miami. Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2. Which is just Evil Dead. <laughs> Still brilliant. <laughs> Serpico Moneyball. Moneyball. I've never seen Serpico, so. Moneyball for me. I don't mind Serpico, though. Police Academy 2, Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise. Yeah. Agreed. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Harry Potter. Amazing Spider-Man 2 because the Harry Potter movies don't get good until 3. I don't hate Amazing Spider-Man 2, but I don't mind Harry Potter, and I've watched it more recently, so there's a bit of recency bias. I, li- I like Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker, especially, and I mm-hmm. like that they, they went there with with Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, they would have just pulled their punches, I think, if it was still uh, Sam Raimi maybe, maybe not making it. It may be, but all his movies are better than this. I hate both of them. <laughs> uh, let's go Harry Potter. Hereditary, Fantastic Beasts, and Where to Find Them. Hereditary. Um, obviously, fan- <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Psycho 98, Leaving Las Vegas. Leaving Las Vegas. Objectively, Leaving Las Vegas is a better movie, but Psycho is so bad it's good. <laughs> Although I will say this, Anne Heche is great as Marion Crane. Mm-hmm. Vince Vaughn completely miscast as Norman Bates. Yeah, terrible choice. Well, especially now that he's gotten a little more famous since then. <laughs> you can't even really watch it the same. Not that it was good then, but I'll go leave in Las Vegas. Roll you know, up. with that movie, they released it on December 4th, and the original and the, and the remake all both take place on December 11th, which was a Friday, December 11th, which was exactly a week after they released it. They should have released it on Friday, December 11th. <laughs> it always pissed me off because it's like, you know the date's there. It's in the movie. In the movie. Why aren't you releasing it on the day? Oh, my God. Sorry, it it's a little... At least it wasn't released afterwards. <laughs> role models or Iron Man? That's so tough. I love role models. Gotta go Iron Man, but I love role models. I think that movie's yeah. hilarious. Role models is one of those movies that I'm not a big, you know, like, dumb comedy person. But it was one of those dumb comedies that was just hit every beat perfectly. But Iron Man. I just watched Iron Man is Role Models a so week great. ago. So I'll <laughs> take Role Models, especially since you said Iron Man. Uh, Insidious, Adventures in Babysitting. Insidious. Huh. Um, I, I. This is really, really tough for me. Because... Adventures in Babysitting, the one that's not on Disney Plus, is so good. Um, but they did it on Disney Plus. I hadn't heard. Oh, you know when she picks up the knife and she goes, "Don't fuck with the babysitter." Cut that. Yeah, it's don't mess with the babysitter now. Oh, that sucks. If your kid can't hear the word "fuck," you are doing something incorrect as a parent. Anyway, that being said. Because of that, we'll go with Insidious. Okay. Us. We were were soldiers. Us. Us. Absolutely. Love that movie. Great movie. That's my favorite. That's another one of those movies. 
Lupita Nyong'o should have been Oof. nominated oh, for an Academy 100%. Award. So good. Spider-Man Far From Home, Babe Pig in the City. Spider-Man Far Spider-Man. From Home. I love Mysterio. I like Babe, but yeah, I had more fun watching Spider-Man. Wag the dog, <laughs> Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part One. Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part One. Oh, because it doesn't have Dustin Hoffman in it. Exactly. <laughs> Plus, I do, I do have a I have an affinity for all of the Hunger Games movies. Yeah, I do too. Is that what you're taking, Jeff? Um, I, I yeah, I haven't. I watched that two or three times. Where I haven't. I've only seen Wag the Dog once in theaters. So. I think I think I, all the Hunger Game movies do a great job of like just kind of secretly being socialists. <laughs> they do a great job of just yeah. seeking a deeply socialist message into a big blockbuster movie, kind of maybe better than anybody's done it before. And they are the rare movies that are as good, if not better, than the books. Hmm. So, Child's Play, the game, game, Child's Play. Sorry, Sean, but. I don't. I don't okay. care about the game. I just don't like Child's Play. <laughs> I think the game is easily maybe Fincher's least movie. Yeah. Even even Benjamin Button, but yeah, he Child's Play. I, I'm actually going to see Dinah Manoff at Golden Con again this year, and I'm going to have her sign my Child's Play Blu-ray. <laughs> I really don't like the game. I know Child's Play is kind of dumb, but. Fincher is better than that, and he should be punished for <laughs> being as good. Five hundred days of summer, Braveheart. Five hundred days of summer, Braveheart. Because I hate Zoe Deschanel. Wow, I thought for sure Braveheart was going to lose. Like I want to punch her in the face. I'm just kidding. I don't really want to punch <laughs> her in the face. But I want a woman to punch her in the face for being so twee. So Mel Gibson wins. <laughs> Braveheart, I take that one as well. All about Eve, Ice Age Two, the Meltdown. Gosh, I don't know what to pick. All about Eve. One of one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. Definitely my top twenty five, probably. The Terminator, Peter Pan, two thousand three. Terminator. Terminator. The Descent Heathers. The Descent, Ooh. though I love Heather's, but The Descent is an awesome movie. Watched it again I, recently, still holds up. I haven't watched I saw it in the theater, and I haven't watched it since. I didn't really connect with it the first time I saw it. Heather's, though, Heather's was my freshman year, first quarter of college. We just walked around. All t- <laughs> one, one of my friends goes, what, did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And my friend Melissa had had a brain tumor. <laughs> but she was just like, um, no, I've only had, I've had two, but they weren't for breakfast. So that movie, that that's like an all time classic for me. It's the descent for me. Uh, sorry, but I, uh, I just, I had to defend Heather's cause I, Hey, I, no, you're not, there's nothing to defend it against. It's a great yeah, movie. I like Heather's. I just, nice. I just think the descent is like, for me, like it was, it was the number one movie of the year it came out for me and, and it's still holds up for me in terms of being a really all-time great horror film for me the way we wanted to talk about the outwaters that's what the descent yeah 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 i could say that yeah i could see that all right you guys want to wrap it up 
Let's do this one. All right. Okay. War for the Planet of the Apes or House of Wax remake 2005. War of the Planet of the Apes. So I'm going to say War of the Planet War for the Planet of the Apes, but House of Wax is fun. It's just an absolutely dumb remake, but it's a lot more fun than it has any reason to be. And you get to see Paris Hilton get killed. <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye-bye. See you guys. Good day. Bye.